podcast brought to you by the letters N K O T B. <laughs> New kids action, step by step. Welcome. This is the Fright Club podcast. I'm Hope Madden. And I'm George Wolf, and we are from madwolf.com. It's all about the steps. It was put on hold, right? We had evil steps planned for last week. We didn't do it for a good reason, but we are back this week for evil steps. And it did turn out to be a good reason last week because we got a lot of great reaction from doing physical disabilities in horror. Right. So we saw, of course, uh, Don't Breathe, which came out last weekend, and we just felt like that was, let's just do it now. Let's just do it now. Great reason. Great movie, great reason. And we got, you know, we got some great feedback on it, and I was happy about it. And uh, Tammy Howard, who uh, we love, she really loved the whole countdown. Like she was, it was something that she had written about when she was in college. Was about uh, the uh, physical disabilities and and how people with disabilities are are portrayed in film. So she was just happy about the whole thing, and I think well, she was happy with all the films on the list. Should we just tell her that we knew that we were cheating off her paper the whole time? <laughs> and uh, we hope you don't mind, Tammy. <laughs> no, thank you for that. Uh, appreciate it. And John, she was happy about freaks. Yes. Well, a lot of people, a lot were. Of people were. Adam was. And I think, uh, uh, I think that might be the first time Adam has commented on one of ours. So that's exciting. And then Stephen Perez, our beloved Stephen Perez, uh, he tweeted and he included the the link, the YouTube link to the uh, one of us, one of us, scene, oh, yeah. which is so great. Classic. One of us always gets you. Uh, freaks got a lot of love. And also, Don't Breathe, being new and, and topping the box office, too, nice. first week. Hope that keeps going. John Dean chimed in. With a thought that I had, I don't think this was on the podcast. We talked about this privately. In at the movie, at the movie, you said, yeah, it. yeah. And that was the wondering how Rocky, the female of the trio in Don't Breathe, would stack up as a final girl. That's and, right, because we did the final girl countdown. I don't know, I don't know how long. A couple months back with yeah, Corey. It's been um, a while. And uh, and yeah, and I think we had six anyway. We did fuzzy math on that one anyway because there yeah. are some great options. But I could see her. I could see her uh, elbowing her way onto yeah, that list. Maybe a new entry. So John had the th- same thought. So great minds think alike, John. Keep it coming. Appreciate that. So yeah, a lot of love for the physical disabilities in horror. And plus, I loved the picture that you used of the uh, yeah. silhouette it's with the one. machine you bought me gun that t-shirt. leg. I did? You did. I had that t-shirt. What happened to it? Uh, I wore it out. You know what? I am tired of our laundry just <laughs> disappearing. I have lost... <laughs> This is not the time, George. I lost a pair of jeans. I lost this James Brown T-shirt that I love. That's true. You did love that. It's just gone. Yeah, it's not just socks that well no, that you lose. Not. Yeah, it's not. I know the socks disappear. People are used to that. You I'm know, talking when that about Katy Perry T-shirt comes up missing. Don't come looking at me. <laughs> it's just whatever the laundry gnomes that keep stealing your stuff, George. The laundry gnomes <laughs> taking this stuff. Okay, but uh, yeah, great, great comments on the physical disabilities and horror. That worked out really well. So. Good. Not only thanks to Don't Breathe for for being a great inspiration, but thanks to everybody for chiming in. But we're moving on. We are back after a week of dis, you know a week of delaying it to evil steps. So you know what that means. It means stepmothers, stepfathers, and the bad things that can happen when they intertwine. So th- and this is not all bad step parents. It's just sometimes they're involved in bad things. Is that right? I'm looking over the list here. They're not all. They don't all feature evil step people. I don't no, think. they kind of do. They kind of do. What are you thinking? Like number three, or, or, or excuse me, number four? You're yeah, give I'm him thinking about number four. I don't know. I mean, he was. All right, let's get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. We can argue at the time. Number five definitely does. Yes. In the biggest, biggest way, because we're going to start with uh, 1987, the original version of the stepfather. When I came here, I was a stranger, but I've never felt home anywhere in my life. I have beautiful friends. I have a wonderful new family. 
This is as good as it gets. It isn't our house anymore. It's his. He scares me. He's your father now and you'll respect him. He's not my father. He's just some crazy creep. I don't think we have to break up the family, do we, Pumpkin? Come out here now! Get out here! Ali Ali home free. Now, I'll be honest on this one, and I'll get a demerit. For a long time, I thought the 2009 version, I didn't know there was an original version. <gasps> I know! I'm sorry. <laughs> but there was. Uh, yeah, 1987. And it's Terry O'Quinn, yeah. who has since then gone on to, I think, greater fame. He was always a, a character actor. Oh, but he's like a TV stable Huge on all now. the biggest Lost shows. Lost in yeah. the West Wing, so oh, he's yeah. very well known. Huge. But, but back then, he made a very uh, chilling stepfather. He did. He did. And this is not a great movie by any stretch of the imagination, although most horror films that came out in 1987 were not great movies. Uh, you know, the director had done, so Joseph Rubin, he'd done, you know, um, Sleeping with the Enemy and Dreamscape. So it's not like this was one of those kind of directed video sort of, this was like a, a real release. And um, Shelly Hack is in it. That's not good. Oh, man. Just in that trailer I know, where she delivers that line, he's your father and you'll respect him. Oh, my God. Oh, my yeah. Lord. She, yeah, she's... I mean, she was the worst of the Charlie's Angels, <laughs> if that is but, you saying know, anything. But say it with me. I'm sure she's a very nice person. <laughs> okay. Okay, so I'm going to say the same thing about Jill Sholin. I don't know if you know who that is. You might recognize her if you saw her. She was in one out of every three horror movies in the 80s, and she's <laughs> got this the most grating, high-pitched voice, but she was very willing to do nudity, which may explain why she was in cutting class, cutting class, one of our skeletons in the closet with Brad, Brad Pitt. Pitt. Oh, my God, so yeah. bad. Also, popcorn. She's terrible. She's terrible in this. Although she's spunky. I'm going to give her this. But, I mean, the movie works because Spunky of... nudity is always <laughs> welcome and it'll get you jobs. Right, Jill? <laughs> so not a great cast is what we're saying outside Terry, of Terry O'Quinn. Terry O'Quinn elevates the film. You know, I mean, it's it's corny. It's somewhat predictable. You know, actually, I think at the time, maybe it wasn't entirely. There are some twists, and it wasn't entirely predictable at the time. Well, but how, well, how about this? He's creepy as hell. Well, how about this? Entertainment Weekly ranked it as the 22nd scariest movie of all time. Well, they're high. Uh, they were high when they ranked that. <laughs> but but dig this. It's loosely based on the story of John List, a New Jersey man who killed his family in 1971 and was actually on the lam until on the lam. I'm from the 20s. Hey, come on in and we'll solve your case. He's on the lam, I'll tell you. <laughs> on the run until 1989, his profile was on America's Most Wanted. And then they captured him. So it's apparently loosely based on, on, this, uh, on this case. So a bad stepfather. Yeah. Yes. There are lots of them. And, yeah, I think Terry O'Quinn was very, very effective. And, um, I mean, he, he just really was in sort of a Red Foreman kind of a way. You were just like, yeesh. You dumbass. All right, exactly. <laughs> And then they did a sequel, which was not at all good. And then, of course, they did the remake with Celia Ward, and that was and Amber Heard. Heard, and that was just terrible. Well, the the good thing he's chilling. Terry O'Quinn is chilling in that very nice, polite way yes. at first. Oh, honey, oh, and then yeah. you know that's not right. No, it's not right at all, and it's turning into some sinister business. Oh, yeah, and it certainly does. And dig this: the cinematographer was hired. The cinematographer on this movie was hired as a last minute replacement for the original. Because he was arrested in a domestic 
dispute right before the shooting was to start. Oh, that's... Iron, irony. Yeah. Rearing its ugly head. That's not good. No. So, yeah, Terry O'Quinn is obviously the highlight of this thing. Yeah, and, and it's not like a lot of times you'll see a horror movie, you'll, you'll name one person and that, that person is in four scenes. I mean, he's in every scene. He's the movie. Right. And that's the reason that it's, it's absolutely worthwhile, regardless of the fact that Shelley Hack is in it. <laughs> and there was more backstory in the original first draft of the script. It was originally to feature some flashbacks that gave more of a backstory and explained how Jerry, uh, the stepfather, became a killer by showing that he himself was as abused as a child, which is a typical cliched backstory. Yeah, I can't. I mean, I'm so glad that that didn't make it into the final movie because it, like, it is a bit corny to begin with. Yeah. And I hate villain backstories. I hate them. We don't want to know what made them the way they are. We just It's less scary if we empathize. Well, not only do you want to, do you, do you, do you need to? No. no. So many times you don't. You no. just don't. So that's uh, The Stepfather, and boy, some glowing recommendations here <laughs> as it's uh, number five on the list. But Terry O'Quinn gets the big thumbs up yeah. for The Stepfather, the original, 1987. Uh, number four on our list, Evil Steps from 1979. And this is the one where we will quibble about the evil status of The uh, Stepfather. Amityville Horror. I'm coming apart! Oh, mother of God, I'm coming apart! Twenty-eight days after the Lutz family moved into their dream house, they were running for their lives. What happened to them is an experience in terror you will never forget. And you will believe in the Amityville Horror. I'm not sure which was scarier, James Brolin or James Brolin's hair. <laughs> wow. It was 1979. Oh, my God. I can tell by the hideous wallpaper. <laughs> yeah. and this The 70s were the homeliest decade. Weren't, I mean, seriously. Everything Don't was Don't you ugly. blaspheme in here. <laughs> oh, we forgot to mention that about monkey shines. On oh, the, yeah. Uh, I'm, Tom. Tom, we got to right, go. First, right, right away. We have to go back. I remember that because I said that. That same line, don't you monkey shine in here, <laughs> last week about the di physical disabilities. And Tom commented that even before he listened to the entire thing, he got about halfway through and said, what about monkey shines? <laughs> and then he commented again because he got to the end. Oh, <laughs> you did mention monkey shines. So, Tom, that's just for you. <laughs> Little monkey shines. But no, don't go dissing the 70s. And this one, of course, has the very famous backstory. Was it a hoax? Was it not a hoax? And this story now even has more ties to current movies because this case, the real case, was one investigated by Ed and Lorraine Warren, mm -hmm. who are the principals involved in The Conjuring right. and um, Annabelle. Annabelle right? and all, Conjuring 2. And Conjuring 2. So it all ties in. But it goes back to the original story that came about, and I remember hearing about it all over the place on news reports. And I, the funny thing is, you can trace the very first mention of this story the lutz's story came out in good housekeeping magazine how bizarre i know even before the the book the amityville horror by jay anson got the whole ball rolling and then as i said it was was it a hoax was it not but anyway this was the story purportedly about what they went through in that house and yes james brolin and margot kidder and actually james brolin's brother get some screen time too because he was used for the image of the bearded man 
appearing from the red room in the cellar because they oh. the studio was looking for someone who looked like James Brolin. And he had a brother that looked like him, <laughs> and so he was fitted with a fake beard mm. and some sweet hair <laughs> for that part. But I mean, you could anybody would look like James Brolin with that <laughs> hair and that beard. You don't see any part of him. So it comes back to the fact our fight about whether he's evil or not, George well, Lutz. He's certainly a menace, and I mean he's he's pretty susceptible. I think. I mean, he's not a loving guy. Well, as you hear in the trailer, he's he's tearing me apart. Yeah. Reminds me of that scene in the room. Yeah. Lisa, you're tearing me <laughs> apart. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he finds that, you know, when he finally falls through the floor there in the basement and, fall, and finds out what's on the other side and all the dead bodies. Yeah. So you can't really trace it back to him, can you? It's like, it's like our, our conversation about whether or not we should have the exorcist on the evil children. Because right? it's not their fault. Right. And they, yeah, okay. So that's what you're saying. It's yeah. not his fault, although he's the guy with the axe. <laughs> well, you got me there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And this turned out to be, at the time of its release, it was one of the highest grossing independent films of all time. Yes. Which was a big stroke of genius for James Brolin because he took less money up front for a cut. 10% of the gross after the release, and it was wow. estimated about $55 million. Wow. So, James. That nice. and Barbara Streisand. <laughs> yeah. I'd say he's winning. They're not hurting to pay the phone bill. No. Is what we're saying. You know, at, at the time, it really created a firestorm in the oh, media. Yeah, totally did. Because so many people bought in, and then so many people bought out, and then since then, it's gone back and forth as to whether or not, are we going to believe this or not? Yeah, I mean, and there have been, you know, a hundred sequels. And, and actually, you know, the the best film tie-in to this, is, I know you're going to say the same thing, My Amityville Horror, the yeah. documentary from like maybe two, three years ago. If you haven't seen that and can look it up, do it. And he will tell you that George Lutz was a very bad stepdad. Yes, he will. And that it's based on, it's centered around the son mm -hmm. uh, from the family mm -hmm. and who's a very compelling character. Yes. And it's up to you whether... You believe him or not. But if you can find that, My Amityville Horror. It it's came out so good. A few years ago. Uh, two, three years ago. Yeah, very good. Especially if you've seen this and just want to keep up on the story. Can't recommend that uh, highly enough. Whereas I would probably skip the 2008 remake. Oh, yeah. Except it's going to be 2005. It, it has that one good scene in the closet. With the babysitter. In the closet. That's it. And, of course, the little girl is Chloe Moretz. Yeah, that's right. Well, and he's got Ryan Reynolds for you ladies. Which is just, it's just one of the ones where and by I, ladies, I mean you. No, you always say that. <laughs> uh, I do remember watching that movie and thinking to myself, why doesn't he have a shirt on? <laughs> you know, and you know, uh, it's got to be no reason if I'm thinking that. If I'm thinking, I wish Ryan Reynolds had a shirt on right now. You have to, uh, there really has to be seriously, you're, there are kids in the room, Ryan. Why is your shirt off? <laughs> Yeah, it's not good, except no. for that one, as you mentioned, yeah. the babysitting. The babysitter scene in the closet is about the only reason for that remake. Uh, but number four on our list of evil steps, semi-evil George Lutz. We'll menacing. A, he's a menacing With step. an axe. Yeah. Axe-wielding axe George wielding Lutz. Axe-wielding George Lutz. That, that is more uh, apt. <laughs> uh, from 1979, Amityville Horror, which takes us up to number three, one we've talked about before on a couple of occasions, a couple of podcasts, because it's so effective and chilling and we love it. And it's from 2011. It's the Snowtown Murders. Do you mind if I stay over? Of course, mate. You're 
shot a gun before? You want to shoot it? told he's not married right so i mean he he moves in he's the boyfriend he's functioning as the head of the household and it's it's it's, we're bending the rules we are just a little bit but because a this movie is utterly brilliant it is devastating and because the performance daniel henshaw's performance as the actual australian serial killer john bunting is utterly flawless and because you know whereas all of the other movies have sort of a you know fun is probably the wrong word but i find them fun depictions of you know evil steps but this is such an just a powerful image of why how this predator male can manipulate a situation where no matter how horrible he is the the people around him are going to let him get away with it they're even complicit in it i mean it's it's a fascinating, brilliant piece of cinema. And this is the type of evil that sometimes for me is even more chilling. Yeah. The way it just sits in your bones because you can see it actually happening. He, he's such a sociopath, how he worms his way in to the boy. He mm. earns the boy's trust. And then, like you said, the boy will just follow him and, and do his bidding and do these evil acts. And Daniel Henshaw, who you mentioned, uh, lived actually in the Snowtown area because this, wow. this is actually based on a true story. Yeah, a and, serial killer who who killed eleven people uh, in Australia in the mid nineties. Yeah, uh, and so Daniel lived in that area for six weeks in a hotel and just got to know the area, got to know the locals to help develop his character. And it's just he he is so great the way he just worms his way yeah. in to people's lives, and it's a it's chilling in that way, and it's also a dark look at family relations, yeah. broken families, a young boy looking for a strong male presence. You know, not needing just him, one. The whole community. Yeah, the community, the whole right. community looking for a strong male presence. And then, and he starts off, plus, and the other thing that's fascinating is that is he cut such an unimpressive figure. You know, he's kind of dumpy. He's got this real sweet, round face. Yeah. So he's immediately likable. And and for that reason, and then he just seems smarter than them, so they sort of follow suit. And then he's got some he's got some thoughts, you know, about uh, that that leads them to feel righteously indignant, which is the way every fascist gets people to follow them. Mm. And then you know, and then eventually it becomes they they do what he wants them to do, partly for their for his approval, partly because they're afraid of him, and partly because he has made them feel he. They were complicit in something enough that now they're guilty and they're they're participants. It's it's eerily beautiful. It's so well done. It's it's you know Justin Kurzel directed. He did Macbeth what last year with uh, with Fassbender. He's he's doing Assassin's Creed, which I'm a little concerned about. But Macbeth Macbeth in in its way was pretty impressive. It was. It really was. It Uh, was. But this was so it's so authentic and gritty and. So well put together. At times, it has the feel of a documentary. Yeah, it really, it really does. does. And, you know, I mean, for as utterly gory and horrifying as the true crimes were, that's not what you see in the film. Right. And, and honestly, I kind of think that that makes it that much more powerful. Yeah. Just chilling. And, again, it's from 2011, uh, The Snowtown Murders. And that's why, because it's so good, I agree. We'll bend the rules a little bit, right. even though they weren't actually married. Right. Uh, he served as a stepfather yeah. figure sure. to
to not to the boy and as you say uh, as a strong male presence in the whole community so definitely worth checking out the snowtown murders number three and number two on the evil steps another one that has graced at least one or two podcasts here for good reason from 2003 tale of two sisters This one also extra special because it was featured on one of our Fright Club Lives. It was. A few months ago, which was gorgeous to see on the big screen. Yeah, that That's was, a reason to see it alone. Oh, my God. It, it, yeah, it's just sumptuously filmed. It's kind of a it's kind of a fractured fairy tale. It has that feeling about it. Well, actually, it's based, uh, it's inspired by a famous Korean folktale, mm. uh, which is has a name that I cannot pronounce and I'm not going to try. No, good thinking. But, that, <laughs> but that's why it's very, uh, very appropriate that you say that because it's based on one. You know, and and the the you know wicked stepmother is so prevalent in you know fairy tales and folklore, and and uh, and they really exploit that. Uh, and also, you know, it's like a little, it's like a little uh, cottage, you know, on a lake in the woods, and the colors are amazing. Um, I mean, the whole film has a very dreamlike quality about mm-hmm. it, and the and the stepmother is magnificent. You know, and we don't want to tell too much about the plot in case you haven't seen it. But a teenage girl returns home. She's been at hospitals for a while. She obviously does not like her stepmother. Her stepmother doesn't like her. There's a very weird relationship with the dad. There's a very weird relationship with another sister. None of it's very well explained, but that's important. But the stepmother, um, my favorite scene is when the stepmother and then the daughter who's returned home, they both realize they're on their periods at the same time. And it, there's just something so, to the to the young woman, creepy about that connection, mm-hmm. it, that bloody connection and the to the stepmother there's something sort of powerful in that and very symbolic yes and there are so many ways subtle ways that a connection is made between the two but at the same time the stepmother is she is a power play but she also comes off as being very brittle um and then the just the utterly bewildered father adds so much to every scene he's in because um, he's very tender, but at the same time, you feel like you shouldn't like him. Uh, it's just, I mean, the whole movie is incredibly, incredibly well made. And it was made into a, an American remake. <laughs> Not very good, although it starred Elizabeth Banks. Yeah, I don't know what she was. She's slumming. Well, but she wasn't as big a star then, I don't think. No, I think you're right. And she's always good. She is. Uh, but And she was. She plays the evil stepmother yeah, in this does. film. And it was called the, it's called The Uninvited. Yeah. And it's, don't uh, watch it. It shows, it shows up on, I see it come across HBO every now and then. Yeah, not very good. Just a pale, a pale imitation. And I would say literally because of all the great colors in the original, yeah, this one is right. a very pale yeah, imitation. It is. It's just very bleached out and bland, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so that is uh that's number two tale of two sisters two, 2003 on the list of evil steps and this one this is a i guess to me moving up to number one a bit of a surprise number one but when you get into it it's really not because it's a classic and it's all the way back in 1955 night of the hunter i can hear you whispering children so i know you're down there i can feel myself getting awful mad Figured I was gone, huh? Run. Hide in the staircase. Run quick! Ruby, shit! What do you want? I want them kids. I'm giving you to the count of three to get out of here, then I'm coming across the kitchen shooting you. 
the night of the hunter. We'd have done this topic earlier if it had occurred to me that we would get to talk about Night of the Hunter. Oh my God, how brilliant is this movie? It's so, it is so great. It is so great. And what a cast. You've got Robert Mitchum, Shelley Winters. Yeah. When she was, you have to remember back, back then she was just really proving she could act because I think it was the movie after this, The Diary of Anne Frank, where she won her Oscar. Mm. But this is when people started, Shelley Winters, yeah. you know, can bring it. And Lillian Gish. Yeah. Lillian Gish, silent <laughs> film star Lillian Gish, getting the gun out and, and, and proving a you know, very tough old broad. Feisty. Feisty in this one. But Robert Mitchum cuts such the scary character in you know, this. So iconic in this with right love on the one set of knuckles, hate on the other set of right. knuckles. I mean, of how many times have you seen that You've since seen then? it in so many times from Rocky Horror to The Simpsons. Oh, yeah. This is where it started. Yeah. Love and hate on the knuckles. And the is... way he uses it. So he plays a uh, he plays a preacher who's really a serial killer. And um, he's he spent some time in jail, but it, it was for stealing a car. It wasn't they hadn't caught him for serial killing. And he winds up in there with a, a bank robber who isn't saying where he stashed the cash. But uh, Robert Mitchum is his cellmate and thinks, well, I'm going to go ask his now widowed wife. Now, why that's perfect is because. As a serial killer, his hang-up is conning widows and out of their money and then killing them. He's just so, like, lackadaisically charismatic. You mm-hmm. cannot take your eyes off him, and it's because he just doesn't give a shit if you're looking or not. Right. He's got that sleepy-eyed look, oh God, but yeah. yet menacing. And, you know, he wants those, as he says in the trailer there, he, he wants wants those, those kids to come out because he oh knows they can tell him where he stashed the money. Yeah, and, and little Pearl, she's walking around with the money all the while, and she wants a daddy, and you know, mm-hmm. she, she can't be four years old, and she, oh my God, she's cute. <laughs> and and it's, it, that those two, Pearl and, and Robert, they generate so much intense anxiety because she just wants to tell him, and you're like, oh my God, don't <laughs> tell him, Pearl. And what's amazing is when this came out, it got... Very poor reviews. So, oh, that's insane. So much so that Charles Lawton, the director, he never directed another feature. Wow. Which I guess wasn't directly because of the reviews, but he had said that he much preferred directing live theater. Mm. But still, very disappointed in the critical reception from this movie um, and didn't didn't direct another one again. Yeah, well, it, it's, you know, it's amazing it's, to think about. It's stylistically very unusual and probably at that time... People don't like unusual. No, yeah. I mean, today when you look back at it, it's, it's maybe hard to place that, that certain of the stylish elements that they use were actually throwbacks to earlier in cinema. So at that time, there were things about it that probably felt weird and dated. Now, to a modern audience, all of it is weird and dated, so who cares? But th- there are a lot of things that he does directorially that... Um, call back an earlier era that maybe in 1955 people didn't want to see anymore. Well, and one of the things that pops out in this is the use of light. Yeah. And the film's cinematographer, a guy named Stanley Cortez, worked with Orson Welles. And oh. he, he later remarked that only two directors, he thought only two directors, understood the use of light. And that Orson Welles and Charles Lawton. Wow. And this has a very distinct look and oh, how the use really of light does. and shadow, yeah. which adds so much. It can be so extra menacing when it needs to be, a big shadow. And, oh, and, and of course, Orson Welles was a genius oh, with yeah. that sort of right, thing. Right, right, right. But you can see that here, definitely. Well, because, uh, you know, obviously with the children, he was, a big, he was a big man, but he was a big physical presence in this town, metaphorically and physically. And so I think that, well, that's one of the reasons that his 
huge shadow is is almost a character into itself. Yeah, and apparently Dutch, there was a American ser- serial killer, a Dutch-born American serial killer named Harry Powers was the inspiration for the preacher. Oh. Don't know really know a lot about this true story, but apparently that is the inspiration for the movie. But yeah, he he's so... Oh my God, his sermons, that uh, voice. Yeah, the voice. You know, I mean, his sermons are so creepy and so amazing. And I mean, he just... The way he delivers the line, you know, is so almost lazily, but it's, you just hang on it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Robert it, Mitchum was the bomb. Yeah, he became such an icon in American cinema, in cinema in general, and you can see why with with roles like this. And that Night of the Hunter, number one on our evil steps, and that's uh, all the way back to 1955, repping the, rep the 50s Yeah. here on the, uh, which don't get a lot, I don't think the 50s get a lot of love here. No, we did Bad Seed uh, with the, the Evil Club. Children. Yeah. We did that. Yeah, so, uh, so that's a goodie. Number one, look it up if you are not familiar. And we look forward to, well, are we settled on next week? I think we are. We're kicking around the most overrated films in horror. Ooh. That's what we're thinking about we're doing. Piss we're, some people exactly. Off. Yeah, exactly. Most overrated. That'll get an argument going. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. That's what's that's what's planned on the docket for yeah. right now, correct? Yes. And we do know the next Fright Club Live, pencil that in. Well, don't pencil it in. Ink it in. That's right. Ink it in. Tattoo it. Sharpie. You know how I love the Sharpie. <laughs> I know that. Uh, September 14th is going to be our next Fright Club Live back at the Gateway Film Center right there on High Street in Columbus, Ohio. And we're going to talk about vacation horror, and we are going to show Eden Lake. Eden Lake, Michael Fassbender. It's such a good movie. It is a tough watch, um, but a young Jack O'Connell is amazing in this movie. And Kelly Riley. And Kelly Riley is very good. A bit of a kick-ass, which is nice. Mm -hmm. And Michael Fassbender is awesome because he's Michael Fassbender, and he can't (laughs) not be. You know, and it is, um, it's a tough one. But we hope you come out, and we think our friend Noah is coming. Yeah, we hope so. Noah and his dad, Jim. Right. We saw them the other night. They were going into the gateway to see Hell or High High Water, Water, which, by the way, not a horror movie, but a great movie. Oh, yeah. Best movie so far this year. See Hell or High Water, uh, if you you can, while it's still out there. Hopefully it's still out. Uh, It deserves to be. So we hope to see you then for the next Fright Club Live. Be sure to chime in on this countdown. Keep the conversation going, as always, on Twitter. We are at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Facebook works well, too. We're Mad Wolf Columbus. Golden Spiral Media that hosts the Fright Club podcast. We always appreciate those fine folks. You know, you can also find us on iTunes where you could leave a positive review if you'd be so kind. positive reviews, what? That can be done, and we always appreciate that. So many ways to get in touch, but we love to keep it going through the week and get those great comments like we got for uh, last week and the disabilities horror. So looking forward to that next week, probably overrated, mm-hmm. probably, unless something else comes up to you know bump what? it if out of there. You know what, send us some great ideas, that might make it more likely. For overrated? Right. Or just for a podcast overrated. topic. Okay. Yeah. Send us the ideas you think for overrated, some of the most overrated horror films. You can do that at Mad Wolf on Twitter. That's an easy easy way to go about it. So, yeah, because you know why that'll make it great, because then I'll just be pissed off about what they said, so then I'll yell at them, and then I'll say what mine are, and then they can yeah. yell at me next week. So it's all going to be, it's just going to be angry. Yeah, it's going to be We're angry. We're going to come in here angry. In love, with love. And you know what? If we lose more laundry, I'll come in angry too. <laughs> Man. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Until next week, I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Stay frightful, my friends. Take it in, KOTV. Bye.